Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. And we're celebrating Shark Week. Today, you'll learn about why sharks are so important to ocean ecosystems with special guest Forrest Galante, host of Extinct or Alive on Animal Planet. You'll also learn about giant prehistoric sea scorpions who used to rule the oceans. And then we'll switch gears to explain how having a cat in your profile picture can affect your online dating success. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Earlier this week, Animal Planet aired a special called Extinct or Alive, Land of the Lost Sharks. In the show, wildlife biologist and conservationist Forrest Galante dove into some of the most treacherous shark-populated waters in the Southern Hemisphere. And it was all in an attempt to rediscover three unique species lost to science for as long as 100 years. In case you missed it, first of all, it was awesome. So go check it out on the Animal Planet Go app. We'll put a link in the show notes. But more importantly, it made us curious. Why does one lost species matter? Well, to help answer that question, we got back in touch with Forrest Galante. You heard him on this very podcast last November. And today he's back to tell us about what he did for Shark Week and why it's important. We had an incredible adventure into um, an area, super remote, super rugged area off the southeastern coast of South Africa, looking for these lost shark species. Now, what's interesting about that is, you know, this was a hotspot for biological activity and diversity. And we were looking for animals that the world hasn't seen for 100 plus years, so to speak. And we didn't know if we were going to find any of them. <laughs> and so it was, a, it was a hell of an adventure, that's for sure. I understand that this is, you know, like tons and tons of species here. What's so important about finding three shark species out of, you know, more than 100? Like, why, why are these species so important to find? Well, uh, there's a couple of reasons, right? Um, first of all, finding any lost animal, any new species or species that's been lost to science is huge biologically. Like, it's a massive achievement. Um, and I think the best way to describe it is imagine you have a giant puzzle, right? A 10,000-piece puzzle. And that's the food web. That's the environment and, and all the creatures that live in it. And it's painting this picture for us, right? And you you built your 10,000-piece puzzle. And sure enough, Somewhere in the upper left-hand corner, there's a little piece missing, and you're like, I've lost this piece of the puzzle, and now I can't see the picture. Well, three days later, you look under the couch, and there it is. You found this little piece of the puzzle, right? And you plock that in and go, oh, my God, now I can see the picture clearly. So every time you find a lost species, what it does is it contributes to our understanding of that animal's place in the food web, in the ecosystem, what eats it, what it eats you know, how it's biologically important and significant. And as we get more and more of these puzzle pieces and we put it all together, we begin to see the picture more clearly. And once we can see the picture clearly, of course, we can understand how to save the habitat, how important it is, and, and how healthy the ecosystem is. And as we all know, a healthy ecosystem is important, you know, not just for wildlife survival, but for human survival. And you, you said uh, what eats it. I know a lot of people probably think of sharks as just apex predators and they, they don't get eaten by anybody. But are there sharks that kind of fit in different niches in the ecosystem? Yeah, of course. Um, there's bottom feeders. There's apex predators. You know, not all sharks are great white sharks. I think people think, you know, that don't have an understanding of, of shark behavior of a shark and they think of a great white shark, right? The top of the food chain, big gnarly hunter. They're everywhere in the food chain from the very bottom little tiny epaulette sharks that get preyed on by tons of other things to somewhere in the middle where some animals will eat them and they'll eat lots of other animals to all the way at the very top like the great white shark. So 
the further down the food chain they, they go, the more complex their place in the ecosystem is, right? So if you're in the middle where it's like, okay, some things eat you and, and other things you eat and certain coral reefs rely on you for health and certain species rely on you for safety, that's far more complex than just being at the very tip top where it's like, oh, you're the boss and you just eat everybody. <laughs> Again, that was Forrest Galante, host of Extinct or Alive on Animal Planet. And he'll be back tomorrow to recap what he found during his shark search and the surprising methods he used to do it. The great white shark is a fearsome predator, no doubt about it. But if you swam in the ocean millions of years ago, you wouldn't have jaws to worry about. Instead, you'd have to watch out for giant sea scorpions. These monsters struck fear into primordial ocean inhabitants the same way the great white shark does today. Get ready to learn about the Eurypterids. Oh, I see. So the harmless walking sharks weren't enough yesterday. Now you got to bring sea scorpions into it. We still don't have to be scared of them. They're long extinct. Don't worry about it. Hmm. If you say so. So the Eurypterids were the reigning ocean predators of the Paleozoic for around 200 million years, way back between 541 and 252 million years ago. That was when ecological conditions allowed some ancient species of arthropod, meaning the ancestors of scorpions, spiders, lobsters, and shrimps, to get really big. One arthropod in particular called Yecalopterus is thought to be one of the largest predatory marine arthropods in the fossil record, and possibly the largest to ever exist. This scorpion-like predator was two and a half meters, or about eight feet long, which means that if you laid it next to the world's tallest basketball player, it would be longer. And faster, too. Their legs were especially evolved for swimming, so they would have been really fast and agile. They would probably chase their prey to within claw's reach before crushing them between long, tooth-like structures on their legs. While what they ate isn't completely clear, their dining habits probably weren't very polite. The first Eurypterid fossil was discovered in 1899 near Australia, which is infamous for its bizarre creatures. Looking at you, platypus! Anyway, while most of these fossils have been discovered in the Northern Hemisphere, the largest ones lived in the Paleozoic waters off the coast of Gondwana, which is an ancient supercontinent that broke up to form Africa, Australia, and Antarctica. The vast majority of the known specimens are mostly just fragments of the scorpion's exoskeleton, although paleontologists have been able to piece together enough complete specimens to get an idea of what the thing looked like. That being said, the scientific record of these creatures is patchy, so their evolutionary history is still pretty uncertain. Scientists know their ancient arthropods related to modern scorpions and crustaceans, but they'll need more information to figure out how they fit into those lineages. But the next time you find shrimp or lobster on your plate, be thankful. 300 million years ago, you might have been the meal. In Paleozoic Australia, lobster eat you. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the worst Russian accent you've ever heard? Probably, yes. Okay, yes. Agreed. You've got to admit that dating in quarantine is hard enough as it is. But as if it's not hard enough, I've got some bad news for the single cat dads out there. And I'm not talking about the ones posing with a tiger. A new study found that women harshly judge men who pose with house cats on their dating profiles. To find this out, researchers recruited 1,300 heterosexual young women to take a survey. The women saw two different images of the same man. In both pictures, the man was sitting in a chair in front of a white background, wearing a blue button-down shirt and jeans. 
Pretty simple. But in one picture, the man was alone. In the other picture, he had a ginger cat sitting in his lap. Researchers randomized the order in which the participants got to look at the images. And just to be sure the results weren't influenced by one guy's appearance, the survey came in two versions. Each included a different man. The women had to rate the men's personalities based on the images. How extroverted did they seem? How agreeable, neurotic, conscientious, and open? And then how masculine did the man seem? How dateable was he? And to make sure there wasn't an anti-cat bias, participants had to say whether they considered themselves to be a cat person or a dog person, which is a dichotomy I am ideologically opposed to, but notwithstanding, this was in the study. (laughs) When it came to the ratings, it depended on which man the women saw. When man A, let's call him, was alone, women rated him as more extroverted. When he was holding the cat, women rated him as more agreeable, neurotic, and open. Hey, open and agreeable. Not bad things to be. But the women also said they didn't want to date him. Women rated man B a little differently. They judged his personality exactly the same way whether he was pictured with a cat or not. But they did say that he looked less masculine with a cat. And they also thought he was less dateable in the short term. He did seem like a contender for a long-term relationship, though. Of course, this study isn't exactly rock-solid. Both of the men pictured were young and white, so it's unclear if those factors have an impact. And it's also unclear if women would have the same response to men pictured with dogs or rabbits. Also, the majority of the women were self-described dog people. (laughs) I smell some canine bias. Basically, this is just something fun to think about when you next find yourself scrolling through Tinder, but not necessarily a study that should change our behavior. Still, if you want to play it safe, just keep the cat picture in like the third photo. You know, they'll get a look at you and then be like, oh, and this is my cat. Ooh, there you go. Every woman in my life when I was online dating told me that it would benefit me to have a picture of me holding a baby. Interesting. Yeah. Now, this is also coming from a guy that did not meet his wife online. So, you know, take that (laughs) for what it's worth. But uh, it was a pretty overwhelming desire to at least get me to pose with a baby in photos. I mean, every time I saw a guy with a baby in a photo, I would roll my eyes and be like, you're just doing that because you think that women like babies in photos. Though it kind of worked on me, too. So I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's recap the main things we learned today. First up, sharks aren't just apex predators. They're all over the food chain. And it's good when we find lost sharks and other animals that are supposedly extinct because they help us understand the ecosystems around them. We also learned that freakishly fast eight foot long scorpions called the Eurypterids used to rule the sea. And we also learned that women harshly judge men who pose with cats on their dating profiles. As someone who is a total cat person and who dogs kind of don't really like (laughs) i think having a cat in your profile picture is great so i'm one data point against this study but uh you know that's not enough so whatever do you dislike dogs i don't dislike dogs i just dogs don't care about me (laughs) like (laughs) like dogs are happy to see all humans and yet When a dog will come up to me, it'll do the usual thing and be like, oh, it's a person. Oh, cool. It'll sniff me and they'll be like, all right, cool. Next. (laughs) See that this is why I don't like the whole cat person, dog person thing, because I'm like, 
yo, if an animal hops up on my lap, I'm going to pet it. I, you know, if they love me, I'll love them. But there are people that like, will see a cat and be like, get away from me. Or they'll see a dog and they'll be like, you dirty mangy dog, you know? So I, I get that there are some, but to me, that's less of being a cat person or a dog person and more being an anti-cat or anti-dog person. You're just trying to see the glass half full and you know, you do you, but, uh, I'm just going to like any animal that runs up to me and wants a pet except for a scorpion. (laughs) Some people have pet scorpions. I mean, don't knock until you try it. Today's stories were written by Cameron Duke and Kelsey Donk and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Today's episode was produced and edited by Cody Goff. Join us again tomorrow for more Shark Week and to learn lots of other new stuff in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. Stay curious.